Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Merry Christmas to you all. Thanks for joining us for this second Sunday of Advent and part two of our sermon series that we're calling Holy Anticipation. We want to be content as Christians, but there is a holy and righteous anticipation, a striving and longing for what we have not yet received. And today we're going to be looking at the anticipation of peace, which goes along with our Advent candle. Hear these words from the book that we love. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We light this candle in expectation for the world to one day be at peace in complete shalom and harmony because of the work of Jesus the Messiah. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Now, those are some of the lyrics of songs that we sing around this time. You know, Christmas is really such a bizarre and befuddled time in our culture. I was decorating for Christmas with my family and playing Christmas music on Spotify, and I, and I was hearing these words being sung by all kinds of pop stars, atheists, humanists, non-believers belting out lines like, "'Veiled in flesh the Godhead see,' Hail the incarnate deity. Or, O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. Or, let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. O praise his name forever. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Powerful statements being sung by people who don't believe a word of it. That's strange, isn't it? You know, Christmas is so entangled with Christianity. It's right there in the title, right? Christ's Mass. It's so entangled with Christianity that even people who don't profess Christ in their lives profess him on their Christmas albums. And you can feel the strain from our culture of not wanting Christ, but desperately wanting meaning in this season. And so if they're not singing our songs, well, then they're singing nonsense. Right, Just vapid, meaningless, empty expressions like believe. I saw that on our Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade this year. Right, Believe, as if that's supposed to be a profound statement. Believe in what, Macy's? Consumerism? Capitalism? You know, belief is not intrinsically a virtue. 
Now, our culture will get closer to something of substance with statements about unity or harmony or togetherness or peace. That's a big one, peace. You know, I love a bit uh, by Steve Martin on SNL. He said, if I had one wish this holiday season, it would be for all the children of the world to join hands and sing together in a spirit of harmony and peace. If I had two wishes that I could make this holiday season, the first would be for all the children of the world to join hands and sing together in a spirit of harmony and peace. The second would be for $30 million a month to be given to me, tax-free in a Swiss bank account. If I had three wishes that I could make this holiday season, the first, of course, would be for the kids' stuff. The second would be for the $30 million to me. And the third would be all-encompassing power over every living being and the entire universe. Oh, we want peace. At least much of the world wants peace, longs for peace. But hey, you know, as long as we're just making wishes. The peace that our culture talks about during this season is really just that silly. You know, there's this vestigial connection between this season and what was it? Something like peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But it's really unclear of how exactly decorating a tree and exchanging consumer goods is to bring that about. And so it just becomes wish casting. It's all the little children of the world joining hands and singing together in a spirit of harmony. But the peace that the Prince of Peace brings to us isn't wish casting. Listen to these words from Jesus. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. If only you had known what would bring you peace, but you did not recognize God's coming to you. That's a sad statement, isn't it? He's talking about his people. He's talking about Jerusalem. They, they have the temple. They have the law. They have the prophets, but they don't recognize God being sent to them. That's like singing Christmas carols that are so beautifully and emphatically proclaim who Christ is, but never recognizing or receiving him. That's a sad thing. And Jesus weeps over that. You know, this is the only other time in Scripture in which it records Jesus crying. It matters to him. Now, he, he wants them to have peace. He wants them to know peace. He longs for peace. But it's not peace on any terms. No, he won't do that. You know, here's some other words from the Prince of Peace. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. All Jesus wants for Christmas is to light the world on fire. 
How can we reconcile these things? How can we call him the Prince of Peace, as the Bible does? It says of Jesus, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But how can he be the Prince of Peace when he promises conflict, when he promises division? It's because the peace that Jesus offers is peace through victory, not compromise. Victory, not compromise. Neville Chamberlain is famous for saying, peace in our time, as he was negotiating with Hitler. We can understand it. The devastating effects of World War I were still very fresh on the mind. They wanted peace. They longed for peace. But peace didn't come from appeasement. Peace came from defeating evil, from conflict, from fighting on the beaches, from fighting on the landing grounds, fighting in the fields and in the streets. That brought peace. In our Advent lighting scripture, we had images of peace, you know, lions lying down with lambs and and children playing with vipers. But before that, it said this, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. There will be peace when God's righteous judgment is enacted on the earth. When God stomps out evil and unrighteousness, then we shall have peace. Jesus' coming to earth is an invasion And Christmas marks the beginning of the end of a war that has been raging since the fall of man. Oh, but make no mistake about it, we are in a war. It's not a battle of flesh and blood, but it is a war. And if we have surrendered to the Prince of Peace, then we are his soldiers. Now, maybe we don't like the sound of that. It doesn't sound nice. And we are meant to be peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And it says in Romans... If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We want peace. We strive for peace. We long for peace. But it's not peace on any terms. You know, we can be tempted by peace, by our longing for peace, by our desire for peace. When Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, was besieging Jerusalem, it says this in Isaiah, Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink from your own cistern. That's tempting, isn't it? Sounds like a good deal. What would you do? Would you take that peace? We want peace. We, we, we desire peace. And peace can be so alluring. We can want peace so badly that, that rather than surrendering to God, we surrender to the world. We say peace... But we mean appeasement. We say peace, but we mean compromise. We say peace, but we mean permissibility. But that will never bring peace. 
you know, the, the priests and the prophets in the Old Testament, they, they went around trying to say that all of their sin and wickedness was all fine and all good and don't worry about it. Jeremiah says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. There's no peace with sin. There's no safe harbor with sin. If we are participating in sin, if we're aligning ourselves with sin, there will be no peace. God wants peace. He longs for peace, but it's not on any terms. God is not interested in a ceasefire. He's not interested in a negotiation. He is interested only in unconditional surrender. And we either surrender to him or we surrender to the world. It is our surrender to him that leads us to peace. Peace between us and God and peace between us and our fellow man. During World War I in 1914, there was the the famous Christmas truce on the Western Front. On the week of Christmas, German and British soldiers got out of their trenches and, and met together in no man's land and talked and shared food and even sang Christmas carols. And that's a nice moment. And it's a good picture for us of how Jesus, of how this incarnate king brings peace to man. And that's what it says in Ephesians. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. It's true what we sing, that truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease." Jesus does bring us peace, and this is a peace that we can know and experience in the here and now. But it doesn't mean that the war is over. Victory is assured. The lion will lie down with the lamb. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. There will be everlasting peace when Christ returns in judgment. But we're not there yet. So we wait for it. We wait for it with eager anticipation and draw comfort in this season by remembering that Jesus came to us to conquer our sin, to defeat death, and to assure victory in the war, so that there will be peace on earth and goodwill toward man. And we can experience that peace even in the midst of war, like they did in 1914. And maybe that's where you are this season, finding peace in the midst of war. Or maybe you're not. Well, that was a sweet moment in 1914, and, and some units tried again in the Christmas of 1915. It wasn't nearly as successful, and by 1916, forget it. The war had gone on too long, and had become too bitter. And maybe that's where you are, where you're not feeling peace. You're feeling war-weary. You're just battling and battling, wrestling and struggling with external forces, right? The COVID situation or the state of our country, the conditions of our culture or our economy, struggling with your business, dealing with your kids or just the chaos and the busyness and you're not finding much peace in your soul. Or maybe it's more internal. 
right? wrestling with sin, struggling with addiction, or, or finding it hard to love people, fighting bitterness, battling depression, or being overcome in grief, and we're just tired of waiting for peace. We know that God can calm the storms. That's what his word says, right? Back to Luke. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Oh, what power! The wind and the waves obey him. He can calm all of these external forces and bring peace to the waters. Yes, he can. But we also see in Scripture in Corinthians, Paul tells us among a whole list of terrible things that happened to him, he tells us that he was shipwrecked three times. He says he spent a night and a day on the open sea doesn't seem like God calmed the winds and the waves those times. We want peace. We want God to calm the winds and waves, and then we find ourselves spending the night in the ocean. And so we go, okay, lesson learned. Next time, I'm just going to take the oars myself, and I'm going to navigate my way to calmer waters. I'm going to make peace with the Assyrians because this isn't working. I'm just going to manufacture my own peace. But you'll never find peace that way. If only you had known on this day what would bring you peace. But you didn't recognize God coming to you. Those Pharisees were holding on to their own expectations of the Messiah. They were holding on to their own plans, holding on to their ways, holding on to their traditions, holding on to their desires, holding on and never surrendering. And so they don't see Emmanuel, even when he's right in front of their face. And so they never find peace because there's no peace apart from him. And if if we're struggling with peace this season, I wonder if there is something that we're refusing to surrender to him. God offers us real peace. It's not the wish casting of our culture. It's real, but it's only on his terms, not ours. He gives us peace through our unconditional surrender. We surrender our lives. We surrender our sin. We surrender our wants and desires. We surrender it all, and we will find peace. Whether the winds and waves are still, or we spend the night on the open sea, we will have peace. The the same man who was shipwrecked three times wrote these words, Philippians, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is near. Does his nearness bring you comfort and peace? That may seem like a strange question, but it really depends. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have this account. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The arrival, the nearness of this king didn't bring comfort or peace to Herod because Herod wanted to be king. And if you want to be king, then you'll find neither comfort nor peace because this is war and only one king is going to win. Let's go back to Isaiah. Listen to the answer that God gives to Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. He says, Virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel, by your messengers, you have ridiculed the Lord, and you have said, With my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choicest of its junipers. I have reached its remotest heights, the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it. Now I brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people, drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are. And when you come and go and how you rage against me, because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you came. And then it says this. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death a 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. If we are enemies, the nearness of God is no comfort. It's nothing but terrifying. But if we surrender, if we surrender, if we turn in faith to Jesus, our Messiah, then he turns us from enemies to friends. He turns us from captives to conquerors with him. And so we can rightly sing, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come. If you want to be king, then you'll never find peace from the baby in the manger. But if you lay your crown before him, then the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.